The following message is by Pastor Billy Newhouse. This sermon was preached at Baptist Church of the Redeemer. For more sermons, please visit bcredeemer.org. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Let me just say a quick note. Travis Cardwell is obviously not with us today. Um, the Cardwell family is in Longview, Texas. He is... Uh, uh, officiating a wedding this morning, and so we're going to take a, a brief break from from First um, Peter, and we're going to look at Philippians chapter four, some familiar verses this morning. And so let me just encourage you to turn to uh, chapter four, verses ten through thirteen. And if you could, let's just go to the Lord here at the beginning in prayer. Father, as Dave Mitchell prayed earlier, there is a real battle for contentment that so many of us have. Father, if we're honest with ourselves, our hearts are restless. We often think there's other things that we need that would bring us satisfaction and joy. And as we just sang, Lord, You alone can satisfy. Father, we pray this morning that You would remind us of the great mercy that You've given us in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be those that look at every situation and circumstance that you have put us in, and that we would be able to say with Paul that we are content, that we have learned the secret of being content. And so we pray this morning that you would work. We pray that you would speak to your people. We pray that you would comfort those who are in difficult times. We do pray that you would provide for those who have great need. And Father, for all of us, we pray that we would leverage the goods that you have given us for your glory and your kingdom. Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would work in this place for the good of your people and the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was in high school, there was a a hip-hop artist named um, Skilo who came out with this hit song in 1995. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the song besides myself, um, but it was called I Wish. This was a 20-year-old who was lamenting a variety of personal shortcomings that he had that prevented him from finding a girl. I'm not going to rap, so, so no need to be concerned, but I'm, I'm going to read his words this morning. Um, he started the song with, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl that looked good, I would call her. I wish I had a rabbit in a hat and a bat and a 6'4 Impala. He later goes on to say that he wishes he had his way. He wishes that people knew his name. He wishes that he wasn't always the last guy to get picked. And I think part of the song, part of the reason this song was so successful, apart from maybe being like a fun and catchy song, was there was a reality that a lot of people could relate to this idea of wishing that they could change a few things about their lives that would bring them a little bit more satisfaction. If you could just change one or two circumstances in your life, this would result in you really getting the life that you wanted. And doesn't this sound like the society that we live in? People constantly wishing for some changes um, to their lives so they can finally get to the place that they want to be. And you don't have to look very long or hard at our society to see that we live in a society that is permeated by a spirit of discontentment. The average household has $15,000 in credit card debt. By the age of 32, the average person has had four jobs. We also have a very high rate of mobility. People rarely stay in the same address for more than five years. 
And we also see that people are constantly on the move. We want a better house, a better job, a better place to raise our family. And I think before any of us think that we are above our discontented society, we know that the real challenge lies within each of our own hearts. It's a battle that we face on a daily basis. As I prayed, our hearts are restless. And at some level, we all want to look a little bit younger. Maybe the young people want to look a little bit older, but we all want to look a little bit different and look a little bit better. At some level, most of us want some more money in the bank, some newer gadgets, better health, more Facebook friends, more likes, and basically more attention. I think every day we're faced with setting our hearts and our minds on things above, but we are still battling that this is the thing that we wish that we had, or this is the way that we wish we looked, or this is the GPA that we wish we had. This was the car that I wish I drove. And every day these possessions that other people have, the vacations that other people go on, the honors that other people are bestowed, maybe even the God-given abilities that other people have seek to rob us of our joy and gospel contentment. And so we see there is a real danger with the sin of being discontent. When our hearts are discontent, we can't see God's goodness and his providence in the manner in which he distributes gifts, honors, abilities, and we can't find joy in the blessings and happiness of others. In the 17th century, there was a pastor named Jeremiah Burroughs who wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Contentment. In this book, Burroughs says, to be well-skilled in the mystery of Christian contentment is the duty, glory, and excellence of a Christian. Let me say that again. To be well-skilled in the mystery of Christian contentment is the duty, glory, and excellence of a Christian. In this book, Burroughs writes, um, he raises this question that if somebody were were to look in your jewelry box, would they find the jewel of Christian contentment? That's the same question that I want to ask yourself and myself this morning. If someone were to look in your jewelry box, would they find the jewel of Christian contentment? And so friends, this morning I want us to look at a very familiar passage in Philippians chapter 4 where we find Paul sitting in prison waiting possible execution as he writes about joy and contentment. This isn't in the outline, I didn't get this to Heidi in time, but we're just going to briefly look at three points this morning. Um, Real brief, we're going to look at the setting of this passage which is found in verses 10 and 11. Then we're going to look at what the essence of Christian contentment is, what the nature of Christian contentment is. And then our third point this morning will be what is the secret of Christian contentment. So real brief, I want to just make sure since we're in a new passage this morning, kind of give us some context of where Paul is writing from. Um, So the first thing we're going to look at is uh, chapter 4 verses 10 and 11. I'll read this to you this morning. Paul says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I'll stop right there. So Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians from prison in Rome. 
um, Philippi was a church that he established, and we can, you can read about that in Acts chapter 16. Um, Paul and his companions arrived in uh, Philippi, and they waited a few days, and then on the Sabbath they went to a river where they heard there might be some women that were meeting, and he ran into a lady named Lydia and some other women where they share the gospel, and the Lord opens Lydia's heart, and she uh, trusts in the Lord, and she is baptized. She is a, we find out that she is a businesswoman, that she has this house, and she opens up to Paul and his companions. But now Paul is in Rome many years later, and he's wanting someone from the church in Philippi to encourage him and visit him. We see this in, in chapter 2. And so Epaphroditus has come with a financial gift. And so now Paul is now sending this letter back, partly as a thank you note and partly giving some guidance to this young church. So in verse 10, we read that Paul begins by rejoicing in the Lord for the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel. He says that, I rejoice in the Lord greatly at the beginning of verse 10. And then we read this next sentence that says, now at length you have revived your concern for me. We don't have the details for um, maybe what this time lapse was or what this period of dormancy was, but Paul was away from the church. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't cell phones. And so um, there was a period of time where Paul's um, not hearing from this church. And now they, this man shows up with a financial gift and Paul is rejoicing greatly in that. And for those of you who are familiar with this church in, in Macedonia, um, it was a very poor church. In 2 Corinthians 8, we see that this was a church that had extreme poverty. And so perhaps the reason they haven't come is because they don't have the financial means to get there. They don't, they don't have the financial gift to bring Paul. We don't, we don't know what not having opportunity was. Perhaps they just didn't have access to Paul. Again, we have, we have, we have, um, updated technology where we can get people gifts these days. We have PayPal and Venmo and we can wire somebody money if we want to. But as Paul's sitting in a prison in Rome, somebody would have to travel that distance to bring him the gift. And so perhaps that's what this delay is. Or maybe they just weren't aware of Paul's circumstances. Again, we live in this age where we can get information like really quick. We know what's going on with people all over the world. And here there, there might have been some lapse in not knowing what Paul was going on. But regardless of the reason, Paul knew that God was in control. God knew his need and God would supply his needs as he sees fit. And so we read this in verse 11. Paul says, not that I'm, being, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And so I don't know what the Philippians were thinking at the time. This almost sounds like a thank you for your gift, but I don't really need your gift. Maybe a thanks, um, but no thanks. But that's really not what, not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, I have learned that even when I have a need, I don't really have a need. He's, he's genuinely thankful for the gift, but he doesn't want them to think that he was desperately hurting and he was destitute without the gift. And so Paul is saying, even though I've had some issues, I've had some needs, I've learned to be okay. And so Paul's telling them in these first couple of verses that he has learned to live in prosperity. He's learned to live with humble means. And during those times, he doesn't panic he doesn't grumble. Rather, he submits himself to the sovereign plans of God, trusting that God would care for him. And so that's just the first section that I just kind of want us to look at this morning, the setting. Again, Paul is in a Roman jail writing to this church, and he's telling them that he is content. 
Let me continue in verse 12. Paul continues. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so if we look at verse 11 and we look at verse 12, Paul tells us a couple of times that he's learned to be content. And so what I want us to look at next is to look at what the essence of Christian contentment is. And the first thing I want to mention this morning is that Paul had to learn to be content. Contentment does not come natural to us. Twice in this passage, Paul states that he learned to be content. And so I think if we're honest with ourselves, I know that just naturally speaking, we tend to compare ourselves to other people. Naturally speaking, we generally want more than what we have. This was the sin that Adam and Eve struggled with. We naturally prefer to have honor bestowed on us rather than somebody else. Naturally, we interpret someone else's good fortune, perhaps even at our own expense. And I think finally, we're natural, we're, we're, naturally, we're just kind of prone complainers. When things don't go our way or we don't get the things that we want, we're quick to, be, we're, we're, we're quick to complain. I don't think anything, these things that I read need to be taught. They just come natural to us. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that if you feel like that sounds like a spot that you're in or a spot that you've been, just be encouraged because we see that there is hope that we can learn to find contentment in Christ. And if you don't believe me, I think anybody in the room that has children, if you want to know what it, just kind of the natural tendency not to be content, just think about um, your children. I know for, for our children, I'm not calling them out with this illustration, but if you had four children or if you have three children or two children and you bring home, call it four chocolate chip cookies, that's a better scenario than bringing home two chocolate chip cookies and two peanut butter cookies. I don't know if any parents can relate to that scenario, but, but typically you need to, it's best giving your children, your, chi- your children the same thing, otherwise they're quick to want what other people want. And so we need to recognize, again, that contentment is not a natural inclination to us. It's a process, something that we learn from walking with God every day. I also want to encourage believers who have walked with Christ for decades that we know that the battle for contentment happens all the time. And so, again, if you're someone who's walked with Christ for many years or many decades, yet you still find the struggle, be encouraged Um, Paul learned this, and and the Lord is working this in our hearts. But one of the things that I want to say is the main way that we grow in contentment is by knowing Jesus and filling our minds with his truth. Friends, you will never be content without knowing the Bible and having God's word dwell in your hearts. Paul said just a few verses earlier in Philippians 4 verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. We read in Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Jesus says in John 15 verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And so we know that the word of God gives us everything that we need to find hope and joy and life. And so our call is to fill our minds with the word of God. We know the word of God sustains us. It gives us hope. 
It enables us to overcome the enemy. And so I think the, the best way that we could learn contentment is by allowing us to be students of the Bible, to meditate on God's Word and allow it to kind of direct the thoughts that we have. Sam opened us up with the call to worship from Psalm 63 this morning that says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And so what we do is we take this biblical truth and we put it on our hearts. And then when we're in a situation where we fall into trouble or maybe we're just looking at the outward circumstances of our lives, we're reminded that God's love is better than life and we can praise Him. And so we take God's Word and we hide it on our hearts. Another verse is in Hebrews 13.5. We read, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so when we take this passage and we hide it on our heart and we encounter some financial difficulty, we don't look at that circumstance and we don't shake our fists at God saying, God, where are you? I don't understand you. This verse tells us that when we um, have put our faith in Christ and we've trusted in him, then we have this great promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. So our confidence doesn't come from money. Our confidence comes from our God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. I think a second way that we can um, grow in our relationship, with, grow in our contentment, is by having a heart that is satisfied in Christ alone. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 8, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so what Paul is saying in this verse is saying, Jesus Christ is everything to me. He is all that I need. He is all that I have. He is everything. Paul says, look, I had all of these, these accomplishments. I was respected. I felt secure. But all of that is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And this is how Paul can write from a prison cell, facing execution, say, even though I'm hurting, I am content, I have joy, I have peace, because Christ is with me. Paul knows that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most beautiful and magnificent and worthy pursuit, and he values Jesus supremely to everything else. And so, friends, the content Christian is not the person who seeks to merely fulfill the outward Christian duties, never missing a Sunday, never missing a monthly tithe, serving maybe dutifully with the children, but it's the person who treasures Jesus above all things. And when our hearts are satisfied in Jesus, we don't grasp for something more in this world. We don't think that the grass is always greener on the other side. We don't look to other people and covet their house and their car and their job and their spouse and their status. We don't think that joy is just around the corner when my circumstances change. And we also, when we value Jesus as supreme, we don't think my life will suddenly get better if you just fill in the blank. We know that Jesus is everything. And so the more that we value Jesus, the more that we find our satisfaction in him alone, the more we will find our hearts resting in contentment. And so a content Christian has a heart that is free from coveting what others have because we are satisfied with what God has provided. This could be a lot. This could be a little. But we know that we're satisfied in the giver, not in the gifts that we have. And so Friends, contentment is found here and now. It's not just around the corner. 
A third element that I want to consider this morning as we think about Christian contentment is that life is full, of, is full of ups and downs. Like, we just need to know that. Look at verse 12 again. Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul gives us in this verse just a little testimony of his life. Paul knows what it's like to be warm and well-fed. He knows what it's like to be cold and hungry. I don't think maybe all of us can say that this morning. I think most of us know what it's like to be warm and well-fed. Some of us may know what it's like to be cold and hungry, but Paul's entire life was a series of ups and downs. Very rarely did he have this kind of nice, uneventful, steady life. And if, if, and if I'm just honest with my own heart, um, I think this is what I would prefer. I want a life that's pretty uneventful, a life where things are just kind of moving around with a nice middle ground. I don't want a whole lot of interruptions at work. I don't want a lot of interruptions at the house. I just kind of want to move through life without too many um, interruptions at a pretty good pace. Maybe we think, okay, if my life just evened out, if my, if my job just evened out, then, then that would give me the contentment that I, that I want. But we see that Paul's life did not even out. Even in this short time of planting this church, we see that Paul goes from one extreme to the next. So again, when Paul first goes to Philippi, he uh, meets, this, meets these women. Lydia invites them into, into um, her house. That's where he stays for a few days with his team. And um, from the text, we know that Lydia was a rich businesswoman. She was um, someone that sold this rare fabric, this imported fabric. And so we can assume that Lydia had a decent house and some decent food that she would be sharing with Paul and his companions. And so at the beginning of Paul's time in Philippi, he has a nice place to stay. Um, He's comfortable. He has food. But not too much after that, him and Silas get arrested and they get beaten with rods and they get thrown in jail. So those that are sitting here in Philippi reading the words from Paul would know that this was a man that saw ups and downs just in his short time with him. And this was characteristic of Paul's life. Some days he had peace and a nice place to lay his head, and other days he faced violence and was beaten with rods and thrown, thrown into a prison. And so when Paul tells us that he knows what it means to be brought low, we can take him for his word. And I just want to say this morning that being brought low doesn't just mean that you're stuck in Houston traffic. Um, Being brought low doesn't mean that your college football team lost yesterday. That's something I'm dealing with right now. Um, Being brought low doesn't mean that the internet is down or you show up at church or Sunday school and someone else is wearing the same outfit that you have. That's not what Paul is talking about. Um, if you want a snippet of what Paul is talking about, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, you don't need to turn here this morning, but I just want to read, as Paul's describing his ministry, I want to read another kind of very familiar passage. Paul says this in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jew the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often 
without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Friends, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives us this astounding testimony. I mean, not many of us can say that we were adrift a day and a night at sea, that we have, have faced countless beatings, that we have been in constant danger, that we have been stoned. I mean, I know for myself, it's really hard for me to relate to this um, story that Paul shares, his life and his ministry. And I don't want to minimize the real trials that we have experienced. Um, but I don't think, to my knowledge, any of us have faced the trials that Paul has experienced. And throughout all these things, Paul tells us in verse 12 that he has learned the secret of facing hunger and need. And, he, and so to me, it's astonishing to see a man that has faced all of these difficulties and trials, and yet he is content, he has joy and peace because he is trusting in Jesus. And so... I think for most of us, though, Paul also tells us not only has he learned the secret of being in hunger and need, he also tells us that he's learned to be content with plenty and hunger. And I think this is the category that probably most of us are in. Again, I know that there are real needs that we have, but generally speaking, I think most of us have extra money in the bank, we have extra food in the pantry, we have extra clothes in the closet. And so we also need to think about this contentment of um, what Paul's saying when there's abundance and plenty. Paul's not just saying that he has com- contentment when times are low, but he's also saying that there is contentment when we have all that we need and more. And I think for many of us, this is the battle that we are facing most of our days. We long, again, for a newer house or a newer car, maybe just an updated house, maybe a better vacation, maybe, maybe newer technology, Um, There's a commentator named Dennis Johnson that wrote this Philippians commentary, and he said, the challenge is to be content when we have more than we need, but less than we want. Let me say that again. The challenge is to be content when we have more than we need, but less than we want. Isn't this the challenge for most of us this morning? I think in some ways it's easier, easier for us to grasp onto Jesus when we're suffering and we have great needs. But I think the challenge is how do we stay content when everything is going well with our jobs and our opportunities and our resources? And so what we see as Paul continues in verse 13 is he gives us the secret in, in verse 13. So what is the secret? Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's response to how he has learned to live with either plenty or want It comes with this kind of well-known words that it comes through Jesus Christ who gives him strength. And one of the things that I want to mention here is that Paul is distancing himself from any sense of self-sufficiency. There was the Stoic philosophy at the time that was marked by this detachment of emotions and indifference to the variations of life. And so the Stoics elevated this word of contentment to be this kind of chief virtue where you were free from all the wants and your needs. But what that really just did was promote self-sufficiency. Paul was not detaching himself from people or feelings. What Paul is declaring in chapter, in chapter 4, verse 13, is that his sufficiency is found in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that my sufficiency comes from Christ. When I am weak and hungry and in total need, I can't be content on my own. 
but I'm, there's strength that Jesus provides that brings rest to my soul. And so I think this is the mindset that takes us away from our circumstances and grounds us to our union with Christ. Friends, if we're looking for our circumstances to find contentment, it will never come because those circumstances are, are prone to change. I think it's really important for us this morning to see this little phrase. Paul says, I can do all things. And so um, I know that often Philippians 4.13 is one of these Bible verses that has been misinterpreted, misused, misunderstood for a long time. And so we know the context of what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, I can do everything. I can face plenty. I can face hunger. I can face want. I can face abundance. I can do any of those things through Christ who strengthens me. And so what I want to caution us this morning is, again, I think Philippians 4.13 is probably one of these verses that's been plastered on t-shirts and coffee mugs and wall decorations. And maybe this is like the Christian athlete in high school putting this verse on the back of your letter jacket. And I'm not saying like don't do that, but we want to make sure that we understand what this verse is saying. This, I think for some people, they're wanting this verse to kind of function as like a mystical incantation where we kind of just use this to draw power to get whatever we want in life. And so if you want a job promotion or if you want more money or if you want to be more successful in your endeavors, then we, we call on Philippians 4.13 and we know that Jesus will come and he will strengthen us. I think the problem with this, though, is that it's not good biblical theology. Again, we need to remember that Paul was writing this from uh, a prison cell. This is why this is called a prison epistle. Paul's not sitting on the balcony of a white sand beach overlooking crystal clear water when he writes this letter. He is in jail facing execution, looking death in the eye, and he's saying, Jesus Christ is all that I need. And so what Paul isn't telling people in Philippians 4.13, he's not telling Christians to dream bigger dreams. He's reminding them that, he can, that they can endure defeat even when your dreams aren't realized. Paul isn't exhorting Christians to go out and conquer the world. He's reminding believers that they can endure and press on even when it feels like the world has conquered you. That is the context of this verse. We can do all things. We can have great moments of success and we can have great moments of failure through Jesus who gives us his strength. And so we can be encouraged. We can have good seasons of life. We can have bad seasons of life. We can have wonderful moments of joy and we can have awful moments of sorrow. We can have times of failure and times of defeat. But we know that in both of those scenarios, all of those scenarios, Jesus Christ gives us strength. I just want to share just a little personal story um, if anyone's thinking, okay, you're, you're being a little too hard on Philippians 4.13. Um, this was a wall decoration that I had in my room as a child. I had a baseball player that was hitting a baseball in like mid-string, and it said Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that is true, but I think there should be a, a, a picture next to it of a baseball player missing the baseball with tears on his face as the game's in and saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because that's really the context of what Paul is saying. Christ gives us strength when we have great moments of joy, and he gives us strength when we have difficult moments of sorrow. And our call as believers is to serve God and understand that he takes us through hard times and through times of blessings. And in both scenarios, we can have contentment because of Jesus Christ. In all of life, in every situation we face, Jesus Christ is more 
than enough. And so this I can do all things is a great promise to us this morning that regardless of our situations and circumstances that we can find contentment and joy and peace in Jesus Christ. And again, I don't I don't want to minimize any trials that people are facing right now. I mean, obviously, just a few days ago, we saw um, that there our city again received a you know parts of parts of the city, parts of Houston, Beaumont, Winnie. I mean, there's 25 to 40 inches of rain, and so we know there's real loss that we have. I mean, I think many in our congregation have experienced death, loss of employment, floods, wayward children, financial hardships, broken relationships rifts in the church, illness, and disease. And I think in those times, we should pray for God to bring healing. We should pray for God to bring restoration and to bring employment and to bring renewal. But when we're in the middle of those times, we should also have great hope and great joy that we can anchor our souls to Jesus Christ and we can know that no matter what situation that we have, we have this promise that we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. And I want to conclude this morning with just a, a few short points of, of application. Again, I, I think, Dave, I appreciate your prayer this morning. I, I lost him. Maybe he's, in, he's doing children's church. But contentment is something that we all struggle with. I was talking with Stephanie about this this week. And I think every single day there was some element of my life where I was like, okay, I need to check that. I'm not being content whether it's food, whether it's where I'm sitting at a baseball game, whether it's what's going on with my work, there's, there's always something that we can do, do better in. And so I just want to close with some points of application that will hopefully encourage you this morning. The first thing I want to say is that we can find contentment in the promises of God. We can trust God and His Word, and we know that He does exceedingly more than we ask or imagine. We can be reminded that God is preparing a place in heaven for us. We can be reminded that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. In Philippians 4.19, we know that God will supply every need of ours. And we know that God guides us in his truth. And so find contentment in the promises of God this morning. Second, let me encourage you to find contentment in the providence of God. Familiar verse, Romans 8.28, we know that God works all things for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Friends, true contentment comes from knowing that God is control of everything. God oversees the events in our lives and he uses them to grow us and fashion us into his likeness. So we've got to remember that God is the master craftsman. He is the potter, we are the clay, and he is shaping and chiseling us, and his chisel never slips. And so even when it looks like life is hard, we can, be, we can find contentment in the providence of God. Third thing I want to say as we close is that we can find contentment in the grace of God. Our contentment is directly tied to our relationship with God. God's grace to us in Jesus Christ is undeserved. And every mercy that we have is more than we deserve. Friends, we deserve to be cast out of God's presence, yet we have been adopted into his family. And so we, because of this, we are the richest people because of God's mercy. So let me just encourage you in that this morning. Let me also just, just say this. Contentment is only found in Jesus Christ. And so if you have not, if you were with us this morning, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, I would plead with you to place your faith in Jesus this morning. Contentment will never be found in the circumstances of this life. It's only found in Jesus Christ. 
The fourth thing I want to say in closing this morning is that we can find contentment by living as exiles. In Jeremiah Burroughs' book, he mentions this as, as one of the things that we need to know to find the jewel of Christian contentment. This world is not ultimately our home. And so consider what you do when you go out of town for a week or you visit the in-laws and you know you're staying on a bed that's not yours, you're eating food that's not yours. You endure that. You're content because you're thankful to be with that family. Yes, you look forward to being back home and getting to your bed and the comforts of your house, but we need to be reminded that this world is not ultimately our home. And so we can endure trials and discomfort um, knowing that this is not our home. The last thing I want to say this morning is application is I just want to encourage you that contentment is valuable. Um, I think a content Christian is a great witness to the watching world. We also know that we live in a world that does its best to convince us that satisfaction is found in other things than Jesus Christ. I mean, how many times have you seen a commercial or an advertisement holding out this offer that, that promises you more happiness if you take the bait? If you drink this beverage, you'll be happier. If you buy these clothes, you'll look better. If you apply this product, you will look younger. If you purchase this car, you will be the envy of your neighbors. But friends, we know that all the things that we buy or all the places that we go, they will not bring us ultimate satisfaction. The richest person in the room is not the person with the largest bank account. The richest person in this room is the one who is most satisfied in Jesus Christ. And so riches and wealth are available to all of us this morning through Christ Jesus. I'm not saying that you can't have nice stuff. Like this isn't um, a passage that says don't live in a nice house or drive a nice car or wear nice clothes. But we want to make sure that our contentment is not attached to those things. And so... No matter where you're at this morning, whether you're frustrated and unemployed and excluded by others and maybe in physical pain, I just want to encourage you that we have a promise from God that offers us contentment in Jesus Christ. And for those on the other side, for those who have extra money in the bank, those who are maybe in the middle of a time of great abundance, we can be content with the abundance that we have. And by God's grace, we can take these things and we can use them to serve others. Amen? Let's close in prayer this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you for the many blessings that you've bestowed on your people. Father, almost all of us in this room have more than we need. And Father, all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ have everything that we need. And so Father, I pray that you would draw our attention away from thinking that we need other stuff, that we need um, changes in our lives to bring us the joy and peace that is available. But I pray that we would be a people who are satisfied in you alone. And I pray that you would help us grow in this understanding of Christian contentment. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that this would be a church that's marked by contentment and that this would speak loudly to the world around us. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the life that he gives. Thank you for the death that he provided. And we pray that we would live in a way that brings you glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For the glory of God, Baptist Church of the Redeemer seeks to obey Christ in the great commission task of making disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can find out about us at our website, bcredeemer.org.